Hi everyone and welcome to DevOps Decrypted where we talk all things DevOps. I'm your host Laura Laramore here with our Adaptivus panel Jobin, Rasmus, and Matt. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, hey. <laughs> hey Laura, how are you? Today we're going to talk a little bit later about um, an analogy that compares Giphy to AI and what's snowballing there. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what's in the news and we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been up to. So what have you guys been up to? One of the things that I had been working on is the GitLab Hackathon. I don't know if you guys have heard, GitLab is actually organizing a hackathon themselves. And we being a strategic partner for GitLab, we do have a specific interest in it. So we are also taking an interest in what's going on there, how we can actually pitch in with some ideas. Um, you know, I've been I, I've been part of a lot of hackathons in the past. Uh, these are times, uh, you know, a good way to contribute uh, in terms of ideas and thoughts. Um, so I think we as a team are putting some things together for this hackathon. Uh, but again, Adaptivist is a big group. It's not just my team. So Matt and others, I don't know if you are aware of this hackathon or working on anything. I think I did throw some ideas on Slack about it in that I wish that GitLab had something like a backstage and you know easier like webhooks and integrations like somebody should have a script runner thing that might work on gitlab i think that, that could be cool right i think you're you're giving away your ideas too soon <laughs> yeah that's okay though i think it's um so i'm a bit 50 50 on hackathons sometimes um I sometimes feel like you can kind of um spend too long like planning um, and working out what you're going to do on these hackathons, and then you get to the actual time, and then you kind of, you kind of like done all the work, and you've realised how your organisation doesn't necessarily support the work that a hackathon's doing. Um, but I like the idea of this GitLab one because GitLab, um, famously, they are—I um, can't remember the exact term that they used to describe themselves—but they're they're more of an open company. Um, you know, they do almost all of their business uh, using uh, merge requests, uh, open documentation. There's very little that's actually kept secret within GitLab. Um, disclaimer, obviously, we know a few people in GitLab due to our partnership with them. Um, so I think this is a great idea um, to get engagement across the community, um, but it wouldn't work in all organizations. Um, I think we look culturally at how um, you build an organization to support something like this. And the, the reality is that you've got to have that openness. You've got to have that collaboration. You know the um, the no um, no impediments to being able to fail on things to support this. So yeah, I'm really excited about it, and uh, I especially like the fact that they've gone into some detail on what areas that they want to do hackathon work in. So maybe some of it is like getting other people to do their work for them. But uh, to be honest, seeing all this stuff out in the open, I think is a is, is a really really good thing. So yeah, let's hope we can contribute to it. Yep. Definitely agree, because I, I have looked at like old issues and merge requests on GitLab that are about GitLab. And it's 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 both awesome because of how open it is, and it's also like the ultimate dog fooding. And even though something like GitHub tends to get more of the open source projects, they themselves are not open source in the way that GitLab is. So, you know, kudos to, to GitLab for that. Speaking of, I did also just remember that they had an invite out for a uh, another like AI thing, so that might be something to sign up for and, uh, and attend. Uh, and there is an emphasis on AI even on the hackathon. I, I, I think that's becoming the trend now. 
you know put everybody's minds together and see what we can achieve in the ai space and you know go for it i'm going to be cynical again um so yeah ai yeah we're all talking about it everybody's yeah. talking about it hey we look at all these things we can do with ai fantastic um can we actually do something well actually maybe we can here because you know there's this clear and detailed um descriptions on this hackathon page um about.gitlab.com/community/hackathon um of uh, you know real tangible things you can do with it so yeah bring it on it's another another way where the advantage of this stuff being open is um is going to play into people's hands because i think we're all struggling for you know real you know real proper game changing implementations of ai without the hype um and yeah collaborating with like minded people across the across the world on it on a product that everyone loves or that lots of people love uh, sounds like a great way of doing it to me yeah yeah now there's also something about an ebook we have that's coming out so it's uh about mastering digital transformation so power of devops practices culture supercharger software delivery um i had a review of this um it's been put together by a lot of very good people um Jobin, i think you were one of them um within adaptivist um and reading it and thinking yeah that kind of makes sense yeah this is good this is um this is um nothing controversial in this and i think it's a really really good um distillation of the best practices that we see across the industry um, of how to do things and do them really really well um and yeah uh, there is a few things in there that caught my eye as well which um where the adaptivist link adds more value to just or whatever else you can read out on the internet um but yeah it's a really really good read um particularly about the importance of um collaborating communicating um many people work with it with, with autonomy and empowerment um and so yeah yeah and and quite a bit of things you know <clears throat> coming from our own experience working with customers uh, for example you know how, how do you scale devops uh, in a big enterprise right and what are the challenges that uh, come along with it because you know th th there's always a challenge uh, when you are uh, doing transformation in a big business uh, otherwise you know i mean if if you look at the numbers a lot of the transformations actually fail part of the reason is you know people are probably coming across the same challenges uh, so we are talking about challenges in digital transformation the common roadblocks that we see um, from you know starting from talent acquisition all the way to you know regulatory compliance and stuff like that um, so yeah interesting read um, just let us know what you think about the ebook still though what about the most important part how many times does it mention ai <laughs> <laughs> well not in that ebook e but i'm i'm pretty sure people will be coming back uh, with you know questions about ai even in devops space can, nice. can we even go one podcast without mentioning ai i don't or, think so i don't think so and it's all over the news too of course listen the ai made the super bowl ads did you guys see that you guys might not be the super bowl people that i am it's everywhere Well, other than that, I know that there's still a bunch of like um, events that Gene Kim is running. Since uh, we had him on the podcast last episode, that was great. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, our last episode was entirely Gene Kim. Um, we had a great time. If you haven't listened to that, then please do go and listen to the previous episode. Um, so Gene um, did something quite interesting with his event, um, DevOps Enterprise Summit, which has been running since well, probably about a decade or so, um, and he's now renamed it and taking the word DevOps out of it. Um, and it's a lot more about enterprise transformation. Um, I can't, sorry, I can't remember the exact new name of the event, 
Um, but that is still going on. Um, and I think it's great that that's evolving um, to take into account the way that the world is changing. And the fact that I just want to pick up on something that Jobin that you said a few minutes ago, which is that um, so many of these DevOps uh, digital transformations that we look at actually fail um, and people are still failing. Um, and if we carry on doing the same things, and if Gene Kim carries on running the same conference with the same people, then those businesses are still going to fail. Well, until they all go out of business, of course. Um, so yeah, and uh, it's a great evolution um, into, into into something that's um, closely related to what was going on before, um, but takes it into a new age. Uh, and yes, we bucket loads more AI. Yeah, so that's one of the good parts, like, changing evolution positive and all that and some of the less good parts that are in the news is this big story about a giant like deep fake phishing attack that look got like millions of dollars from deep faking a whole meeting with like executives to a to an employee of a bank or something like it's that one is crazy have you all heard it's, of that one i did yeah it came in cnn the other day um it, it's funny right i mean if it was not for the wisdom shared by Gene Kim in the last podcast, I would have thought, you know, it's too good to be true. Is it really Gene on the call or is it like a deep fake AI <laughs> imitation of Gene? But yeah, it, it's funny. In this world and era, it's, it's hard to see if the person is real or not. Yep. And it's just kind of getting worse. And part of that it runs into the main theme of this podcast that we'll get to here in just a little bit. But another way that it's happening is, and there, there's a term later coming, but right now an example of this is also that I noticed AWS is set to make now billions of dollars just off like IPs, like a new charge in IPs and so on, which is like, yeah, they already got all the customers. So why not just start like ratcheting up the fees? Like it's almost like we know a different vendor that, you know, does that, not naming any names, but you know, will we just see more of that? There's a scarcity, isn't there? Um, I mean, I've we've been hearing about us running out of IPv4 for um, well, for decades now, um, and I think um, you almost sound like some sort of Cassandra saying, "Oh my goodness, we're going to run out of IPs." Um, we've been saying the same thing for twenty odd years. Um, maybe it's finally coming into bite. Um, I mean, I remember looking at some of the the IP allocations that um, are going around the planet. Um, there is only a finite number of them, class A, sorry, slash eight networks, um, as they now call them. Um, and it may, it's hard to tell whether it is a cynical thing, like, well, AWS is going to start charging for this, or if you know we've got to the point where this shortage is actually now starting to change the world. Um, I think it's encouraging some good behaviors. I mean, we've done some, um, we did some proactive things in Adaptivist when this announcement came out. Um, but also uh, things like our, our, our Cloud Zero report that says uh, you're now spending this extra money on AWS where you weren't doing the last month um, is pulling out some um, some examples of what, frankly, is uh, not entirely brilliant engineering practice. Things like public IPs being um, assigned to uh, interfaces, to EC2 instances where they don't really need to be. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's encouraging some some better behaviour. Um, it it is also in some way incentivizing people to move from IPv4 to IPv6, right? I mean, that that's been slowly but steadily happening. Uh, maybe this is another reason to do that. Yep. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's almost as if um, the increased use of things like NAT, um, and even in carrier networks, CG NAT, um, has meant that the kind of IP exhaustion thing is slowed down um, because it is fairly easy to NAT things and use RFC 1918 net space um, inside of your network. Um, but I, I feel like it's only really early adopters who are already doing that um, as a default. Um, and now, yeah, we start to charge for those IPs. Suddenly, they're you know they are actually a chargeable thing. Um, I think it's making people think about the network design a lot more, um, and uh, yeah, and tidying things up. So, does that in itself then slow down IPv6 adoption again? Um, will will I? I mean, I talked about IPv6 and IPv4 exhaustion, as I'm sure a number of you have um, in the previous century. Um, it, it just feels like it's it's just um it's just taking forever. It's disappointing, but yeah, yeah. our apps are just charging because they can. Um, well, yeah, maybe there was there was one bit in the article that stuck out to me. It's like, hmm, if it's because of IP scarcity, we don't have enough of these. But I think the the, the article I read said something about AWS having like a hundred million ish reserved IPs, but they're only really using like half of them on a regular basis. Like, hey, hang on. Where's the scarcity then? Or are you just charging so you can charge more and make a million, a billion dollars a year? Hmm, that seems kind of like profit. not a million dollars. It, it's going to make AWS four hundred million to one billion at try every year. That's what it was saying in the article. That's that's yeah. a lot of money. Hey. For essentially no work. So that brings me to another thing that has been recurring on and off here over the last many months now. In that these tech layoffs, they just keep popping up, making news and all that, kind of the economy stays good. And it seems like, hey, a lot of these companies are profitable anyway, so why are they laying off people still? Thoughts? Well, I mean, you, you need to show profit. <laughs> you know, a lot of these public companies, you know, they have to cater to the needs of the stakeholders, right? And how, how do you show sustained revenue in your books? I mean, remember, at a time when you had 50% growth, it used to be good. But now 50% of growth is not good enough. So how, how do you keep showing that you know, you're growing at a 100%, 200% rate? Uh, that's probably one reason. Mm. I think it's like a second wave coming on. Um, I mean, I can postulate on this that maybe like the first wave is where you know uh, companies have got away with um, actually, no, I'm going to rephrase what I'm saying. I was going to say that companies got away with having lots of spare people. Um, clearly, that's going to be the case in some of the, you know, in some companies before the first wave came along. Um, but I also would just want to make a note of, of how um, trimming your company to the bone and only running with the most essential resources is a really good anti-DevOps way of ensuring that um, you don't innovate and that you don't do things really, really well. Um, so that's it was absolute tragedy that so many people got laid off first time around. Um, but even more so because it just it just strikes in the face of how I personally think you need to run an organization um, with some slack. Um, and I don't mean the, the instant messaging uh, company, um, you know, that, that freedom to actually go off and, 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 and use the diverse resources that you've got in your people. Um, and so, yeah, I think after the first wave, you've ended up with these you know, leaner, meaner companies 
um, chasing after possibly the same goals. Um, and then it becomes a bit of a survival of the fittest race because if everyone is leaner and meaner than your 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 opposition are, your competitors are, so you've got to get even more leaner and meaner. Um, yeah. Or maybe it means that the first round was just too arbitrary. And again, this is a generalisation. It's like you get the big companies, forgive me, I don't have the numbers, but they say we're going to cut hundreds of people. Um, you can't do that in a particularly nuanced way. Um, and so what I think is also happening is there's a bit of a, a bounce back where people have been laid off and then companies have realised they've laid off some of the wrong people um, and they've hired some of them back. And now they're going again and being more nuanced because their costs are creeping up again. Um, maybe that's the reason for it. don't know. All I know is it's, um, it is sad. There are so many good people out there in the industry who I see uh, now looking for work um, and, and who are capable of, of actually transforming companies who um, who get this sort of structuring right. Yeah, I, th I think you kind of hit on a fourth cause. I had three in mind already, but the fourth one's kind of is that, well, everybody's doing it, so we can do it too. Kind of like how during inflation, like lots of, lots of companies raise prices on things, then inflation got under control, at least in the US. And it's kind of like, but wait, Prices aren't really dropping, and sometimes they're going up more. And like the same justification, like no, 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 our supply chain costs went up. We still have to keep raising prices. Like everybody else is doing it, so we can't like be be singled out and blamed. It's almost like you can do that by laying off people. Like oh no, no, it's an industry standard. We gotta. I'm sorry, guys, but we gotta. But all I mean, of them, you, you, you can't always be too hard on. Uh, you know, executives for doing this, though, right? I mean, UPS uh, just recently uh, said they're going to cut like. 12,000 jobs, and this is the biggest in their 116 years of history. Now, I, I'll just, uh, I was just reading about it, and you know, the chief executive Carol Tom said, you know, they're doing it in part due to the new technologies, including artificial intelligence, um, coming on board. So, obviously, that is forcing a few layoffs as well. Um, mm. Can you, can you really blame the executives for doing that? I mean, if there is AI or new technologies helping do things faster and quicker, and if that is resulting in you know laying off a few people, you know as bad as it sounds, tough luck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see in some sometimes it probably makes sense, but every time I really kind of look into it, it's either like greed, which is the the typical one, like yeah, we got to maximize stakeholder value, you know, forget the employees and all that. Some companies like that. So or not, like adaptive is just great, you know, no bias here or anything. And then per perhaps there's also like some caution, like we keep hearing, oh, the recession will be here any moment now. It's it's right around the corner, you guys, seriously this time. And then there's one more that's fear, which probably the least unlikely, but I'm kind of curious about this because there's all these talks about like uh, regulation around AI destroying too many jobs or even like more and more workers unionizing and i kind of wonder if some of these big companies are trying to get ahead of that and like shrinking down and downsizing before there are more constraints on how they can actually do that but i will admit that's probably unlikely but i know it, it probably is some some companies other companies not so much i think one thing that matt said that kind of hits on it a little bit is the innovation thing like if you do a wave of layoffs because you kind of overhired or whatever reason, and then you wind up in a place where you're not innovating enough, then you're contracting some more. 
then you're having to do more layoffs. And it's kind of like a cycle. And to me, like folks who say, well, AI is going to cause these layoffs. Well, maybe, but I think that at some point you've got to see, oh, AI is not that innovative in terms of they're not a person. AI isn't able to think like a developer could think and come up with you know, some innovative ideas that could drive a company forward. So I think that's kind of something interesting that Matt hit on there. Yeah. How do we think this is affecting like DevOps and IT in general? Are we affected more than other companies? I mean, it is big tech that's laying off people, but is it from like DevOps department? Is it marketing? Is it sales? Is it something else? I can only really guess at that. Um, and of course, with a DevOps halo on, I would suggest that it's not really DevOps um, because people who I think there's there's um, there's a, a personality type that is heavily involved in DevOps, um, which is you know, there's almost a hustle about it. Where if you look at DevOps as being something where you, you're doing everything you can to ensure fast flow, remove friction, um, yeah, almost hustle around stuff. Um, I get the impression that a lot more of these layoffs are in. Um, are in more siloed roles. I mean, in every you see like lots of, uh, I see my, some of my friends, DevOps engineers coming up. Um, and I look on LinkedIn, you get the open to work things show up. Um, but obviously I'm connected to more DevOps engineers than anybody else. Um, but I get the impression that we've got companies that have bulked up um, and have um, we've got lots of people doing roles that are possibly very niche no, niche is the wrong word, but more, more kind of siloed um, in terms of what the organization needs. Um, and as we all know, the danger behind silos is in the communication structures around them uh, and the delays you get. You know, any value stream map will show you that. Um, and so you get this um, this flabbiness in, in, in organizations. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, as I said before, it is, it's a tragedy that so many people are getting laid off. Um, but I think the people who are in the best positions are the ones who are thinking around, you know, that kind of transformative DevOps mindset. Um, so I'd say, uh, Rasmus, I think I think we're seeing a little bit of bias based on what we observe being heavily involved in the community. Um, and the reality is, is possibly somewhat different. And it, uh, that could also help explain the rehiring, like, oops, I didn't realize we needed those guys over there. Apparently we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to expand on something that Laura said a few minutes ago, which was around how you, you get, um, I can't remember the exact word you used for it, but almost like a bit of a death spiral where you cut people and so you end up with a smaller group. Um, but that smaller group is then um, is almost acting without enough psychological safety. And so they achieve less and you have to cut more and more. Um, and, and then you really see what you've cut that you shouldn't have done. And that might sort of get me to my main point here, because as you say, Matt, this is like, it's a tragedy that there's all this impact on people's lives. And it feels like we're getting to a timeline where this is getting more and more in focus. And I came up with this ridiculous you know, analogy here, that the dark timeline that AI could be heading down is kind of like what happened with Giphy. The, the image hosting service, right? Uh -huh. yep, 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 image hosting service. I'll, I'll explain it real quick. So I, I'm one of those nerds who collected like suitable reaction GIFs and images for years and years and years and like curate this huge collection of, let me find just the right image for you. I'm an expert, you know, all kinds of air quotes and self-deprecation around that. 
And then suddenly came Giphy, this thing that kind of made it really easy to do that because it's a database with a bunch of images and you just do a keyword search and you get an image. And like, ta-da, suddenly everybody is an expert. But then a little bit like AI, like how you used to have this hugely diverse conversation on Stack Overflow and sites like it, it suddenly gets ingested and automated. And now you have this, you have more people able to use it, but with kind of like lower quality hits because it's the same things that keep coming up over and over again, like how you would have chat GPT kind of regurgitate the same stuff over and over again, rather than ever come up with anything truly you know, unique. Like if you have fewer people actually posting novel, new, you know, their own content on Stack Overflow where they, they're thinking and they're like, here's a new thing that's never seen before. You never get that with AI, or not really. And there's a uh, there's a new movement that actually has has, has latched onto this, which I am I, I will happily encourage anyone to read this. There's an article called The New Luddites on Atlantic. We'll we'll stick a link in there, assuming that it's not subscription, I don't know. But it, it has a neat callback to the original Luddites, which was a movement 200 years ago that had been essentially equated with anti-technology people that are afraid of the, the, you know, the future and like trying to regress and be reactionary and destroy the machines and all that kind of stuff. When really, it was almost like, if you really go back and look at it, it, it was this, it was a group of like textile artisans, like craftsmen and craftspeople that have been working for years or decades on like perfecting their ability to make textile. And then factories and factory owners, as part of the one of the you know, industrial revolutions came up with these cool automated machines that could not now make textile, albeit at a lower quality rating, really easily with unskilled labor, which sometimes was literally children, like child labor being put in in place of a multi-decade, you know, career a craft or some some person. And it's easy to jump back and thinking, oh, they were afraid of their jobs and they're just destroying everything because like, no, we want to keep, we don't save our jobs. But then you really think on, on some of the writings that came out of it, and it highlights that it's not so much that, that they were afraid of technology, but they were afraid of the few benefiting on the backs of the many as new technology comes out that only a few people can access. Much like how today, the core of AI, like everybody can, like can log on to ChatGPT or talk to Bard, now Gemini and, and all the others out there, and you know use it. But very, very few hold the keys to what are actually going on, and they're controlling you know, the AI race. We had the whole thing with, with OpenAI dumping their CEO in favor of, we're moving too fast, giant uproar, everything got back to normal again. And it's just, who's winning? You mentioned two different things, right? One is only few holding key to this whole AI thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, companies like, you know, uh, Google, uh, Meta, all these companies holding the key to AI. That's that that makes sense. But you also mentioned about only a few benefiting from it. Now, I would argue that point though, because there's a lot of people benefiting from this new boom. Take the textile example you were mentioning about. You're right. You know, the new technology helped creating this textiles faster, made it difficult for the people, uh, all those people who were so experts in it, being in that career for so long. But eventually, it also made possible to create so many new designs of this so fast. So everybody else in this world could then go for different designs they liked. And, you know, we could just, you know, upload a design to Amazon or wherever and get it printed on a T-shirt. So there's so many options out there. 
So, mm-hmm. a lot of common people are actually benefiting due to these technological advances. Uh, and I would say the same thing with computers, right? I, I remember back in the day when I was in India, when computers came out, there was, a, there was a big uproar about computers replacing everybody's jobs. Now, can you imagine a day without touching the computer or without, you know, computers helping our lives make better? So, so in the end, I think it's not just a few who are benefiting. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who are benefiting because of these technological advances. Don't you think? Absolutely agree. There are, you know, there are layers to the benefits in that, yes, it may concentrate more capital in fewer hands. That's a problem, like society-wise. But yes, it also broadens what's available, makes more goods available and all that. And that is good. It There's a balance to be called for it because, as with a lot of us, as today, it has a tendency of degrading quality, even if it becomes more widely available. So I think what the original Luddites would have been happy with would be if you'd found like a balancing point. Like rather than switch directly from like skilled artisans uh, artis- artisans to child labor, maybe we'd gone somewhere in the middle to like get, okay, we can rehire and retrain the the, the artisans to be like the supervisors and the, the you know, machine understanders and fixers and then like hire regular peasants, not just children, to work the machines and, and strike a better balance and like, okay, sure, the machines can mass produce cloth that's just like going to break in a year or two, while the, the the good quality stuff would last for decades and could be passed down. Let's let's like find like a middle point again. So I think that's what's what's happening and is in right now, and it's like up to us to help like balance that balance the scales because very easily, with fewer and fewer hands controlling it, could you get to the point where, well, you know, not only is your job gone, but you know, your whole industry is pretty much ruined and maybe some of these good things never happen again i have to kind of sit on the fence a little bit here from from for my own sanity to be honest otherwise you get into um you get it into gets poverty, dark you get into uh into capitalism you get into yep. all these things um and the the reality is that this as joe been said this is very nuanced um if you're a developer and you want to solve your problem you can either spend a half an hour um, Googling through Stack Overflow answers and, uh, and Stack Overflow posts, or you can put it in chat GPT and probably get the answer you need um, in five seconds. Um, that then enables the developer to spend his time, his or her time on other things. Great, fantastic. Um, but there's limits to it. Um, yep. You know, you can argue and you can see projecting ahead. Well, you know, today um, a developer is like, using ChatGPT to write a function um, tomorrow or in six months or in a year, they'll be using ChatGPT to write an entire application. Um, and, and and yeah, the the ethical effects of all this stuff start to collide with the actual practicalities. Yeah. I've maybe used this quote, but you end up with um, uh, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, um, where he's saying how they spent so long working out if they could they never stopped to think to see if they should mm-hmm. um and it's a global problem it's it's um, and it's a social problem um yep. should we stop using ai to advance ourselves well we can't really um mm-hmm. because if we don't do it then somebody else will um, yep. and now i'm getting political so i'll stop <laughs> i completely agree i mean we keep saying this you know ai is not going to replace you 
but AI is going to replace you with people who use AI, right? So I think I, there's definitely a balance to be made, but at the same time, it is enabling us to do things faster and quicker. So we can actually, it's just like DevOps, right? I mean, we keep saying, don't waste your time, uh, you know, building infrastructure or making sure it keeps running, but instead, you know, use your time to innovate, do other stuff, because DevOps can take care of that basic stuff that you used to worry about for so long, right? It's just like that, you know, AI is actually enabling you to do more innovative stuff. So you don't have to worry about, you know, thinking about, okay, what is the records for, you know, this particular thing? <laughs> so that's an interesting one, because um, when you say that, Jobin, it makes me think of um, um, a few years ago, there was a movement called uh, hashtag NoOps, um, where you get to the extent where, like, all your DevOps automation is working so well that you don't actually need ops. Well, that's what people believed. Um, and you know, TLDR, long story, we still need ops. Um, do we still need the same ops people that we need that we needed from before all this DevOps and no ops stuff? No, um, it's different, and it's going to be the same with the AI. It's like you know, I agree. It's, yeah, it's here to stay. It's it's going to replace you to some degree, um, but also it's not going to replace you. Yeah, I, I love the idea of building, you know, upon the shoulders of others as over time we get higher and higher. I just hope that those shoulders aren't like skeletal bones because we've just ground our predecessors into the dirt because like, Arr! but maybe I'm a little bit of a new age hippie there. Now, I, I would actually go back to the analogy that you were making to Asmus with Giffy there. I go to Giphy and, you know, search for certain keywords, you know, I tend to get the same GIFs over and over again, which makes it a little bit more, you know, mundane. I mean, it's not creative anymore. You get that kind of a feeling. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I was reading an article about why ChatGPT works, right? Part of the reason why it works so well in many cases is because, you know, it is only predicting the next token. And based on a lot of calculations and algorithms, it's figuring out, okay, what are the next possible set of tokens, you know, available? And then it assigns a priority to them. But interestingly enough, ChatGPT doesn't always pick the highest priority token every time. Then there is a randomness associated with it. So it actually picks, you know, random tokens, which makes it interesting because if you ask the same question to ChatGPT multiple times, you will see different answers because it is actually adding the randomness, which then becomes kind of the creative element in giving answers, you know? So I think I think there is some creativity there, which will only improve over time. Uh, yeah. It's not always, you know, going to give you the same stupid answer, <laughs> if I may. Yeah, and, then, and then you can like thumbs up or thumbs down the responses, which helps train the model over time. And exactly. I think that is, that is the way to go, but there's got to be a way to like, tie the feedback loop back to where it came from. So like, well, this answer was provided by so-and-so over in Staggerflow at this date, and but that's difficult with the way you know, generative AI works right now. But you know, that's how it somewhat motivated people to go and write things on Staggerflow in the first place. They got, you know, comma or points or whatever it is. And if there was a way to somehow tie what comes out of generative AI back to where it came from, or like, furthering the thing beyond just training the model that's controlled by few, very, very few people, that would be something of interest. But uh, if I may switch over to a, a newish term that I really love now and a mild, strong language warning here, 
the term is enshittification, which is a real word that was actually the the word of the year in 2023, as by some uh, dictionary somewhere, I forget which one it was. And it was only thought up in like 2021 or 2022. So it's like super new. And it just perfectly captures, I think, the zeitgeist of what's going on in this case, because it, it has a Wikipedia page, you guys. It's crazy. And it, it has these amazing examples of how it's kind of like an example of it is when a new piece of software comes out, like a new platform, a new portal, and it stops out just being like awesome. And then suddenly, it just over time, incrementally gets worse as maybe the company starts monetizing it more and more. Hey, AWS IPs, I'm looking at you. And then eventually, it either just leads to an acceptance of like things are actually worse now than they were before, or it may lead to a backlash, kind of like the Luddites. And there was another neat article called Dare to Connect a Server to the Internet that kind of encapsulated some of this cloud backlash with, with AWS and others, you know, continuously having incentive to tell people that, you know, you shouldn't set up your own server. It's too hard. No, 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 just pay us to do it. It's great. It'll be great. And then you really, really go back and look at it, you know, I just have a server on my desk and I like I ran three commands and now it's online and it's like it doesn't cost me anything but electricity. So I just I, I love that term. I love what it says about the world today. And I just really hope that we can veer off on kind of like the good timeline of AI rather than the bad one that just turns more and more into the like the, the gifification of, of modern life. It's interesting to me that AI is both evolving and devolving at the same time. <laughs> like yeah. You can evolve into using it for these things that are productive. You can devolve into what we were talking about earlier, the deep fakes, controlling politics, all kinds of stuff is possible with it. Like it, it, There's a flip there, and it's kind of a little bit social in terms of what's going to happen. Uh, it is sort of like nuclear power, right? I mean, you can use it for the good, but you can also use it to kill others, right? When we say about AI and evolution, people are only thinking about, you know, self-driving cars, you know, all the fun stuff, you know, text to video, all of that. But you have to also think there's a lot of other things happening with AI. Take the DevOps tools, for example, you know, GitLab, GitLab Duo uh, or Atlassian, you know, Atlassian coming in with um, AI features on Jira Confluence, all of those different tools. So there are these little improvements also happening within the DevOps tools, which is specifically AI-driven, that will, you know, make our lives a lot easier. Like GitLab Duo, for example, there's, yes, code generation that is part of it, but at the same time, you know, automatically finding reviewers, you know, helping to summarize epics or issues, you know, that uh, same thing on Confluence, you know, uh, getting the summary of a page, you know, uh, searching when you click on a particular text inside Confluence. So there's all these little, little small features that is coming as part of the AI evolution, which is, again, making these products much better. So even though we say, yeah, you know, Meta or, you know, Amazon holding the key to a lot of these things. There is all these different companies coming together and improving our lives little by little by adding new features that helps us, you know, do things faster. I, I do like the word, and what is it, entitification? Um, you said there's a Wikipedia page for it. I'll, I'll go read about it. It's, it's come about through uh, Corey Doctorow, who um, you may know from the blog Boing Boing, 
back in the you know, 2010s, um, very much following the zeitgeist of new platforms that were coming out back when Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, um, were, were, um, were coming to the fore. Um, and yeah, um, when he describes intuitification, yes, I'm literally reading off the Wikipedia page now, um, he talks about it being how platforms die, um, how first they're good um, to their users, then they abuse their users to make things better for the business. Um, and then they abuse those customers to claw back value. And, and I'm interested here because of the the platform link here. Um, we haven't talked about platform engineering for a little while here. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, well, I am or I'm not. I, I'm quite looking forward to the initiatification of platform engineering um, because by that stage, it would, have mean that we, it would mean that we will have gone through the stage where we are building successful platforms using IDPs, using good source code management and good deployment systems, et cetera, and solving our users' problems um, to the extent where the platform actually becomes so powerful that we start initiatificating it. Um, so, yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but also, it's kind of like a sign of, of success, perhaps. Um, mm -hmm. Just um, just on the, um, what was the other article we were talking about? They had to connect uh, the server to the internet. Yeah, cloud re repatriation. Um, th this is an interesting one. So this is DHH. So the event of Ruby on Rails, I think, um, who is leading a push to get everyone to leave AWS and GCP, et cetera. Um, and based on the proviso, well, you can run this stuff on, on the server yourself. Um, DHH can do that. I can do that. Rasmus, you can do that. Jamin, you can do that. Laura, I'm sure you can do that as well. Um, um, should you? I don't know. Um, but it strikes me there's, there's these two extremes of where we hear about uh, people spending millions on Amazon and then DHH telling us all to run um, a private colo server for $50 a month. Um, I think the reality somewhere is in the middle. Um, and it all comes about from working out where do you want to spend your time? Um, and I would love it if somebody told me to go off and run some big infrastructure on a single server. I would love doing that. Is it a good use of my time? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that we can find a balanced future. That, that's where I would like something like post-AI DevOps to look like, because you, you can tell there have been industries that have been disrupted, just like textile and the, and the Luddites and all that. For instance, Uber, as an example. Uber really kind of kicked open the... Um, what's it called, the uh, gig economy. And it's kind of like, in some ways, it's good. Some people really enjoy having the flexibility to be like their own boss and only sign in when they want to, and that's great. And then Uber, apparently, in some cases, can probably be a maybe not like perfect master. And like working in an Amazon warehouse is probably not exactly great either, but what it enables is amazing, this logistical system. But having these big like corporate titans controlling these things, that's what makes me worry. And I wish we could find like the middle point where we figure out like, okay, hey, capitalism, do your innovation thing. Great. Now we have a beautiful new thing. It's great. Everybody should do it this way. Maybe there should be kind of like almost like a public framework of this is how to do it in a really effective way. Anybody can do it. Some sort of like half cloud, half home. Like you just plug in the thing, do it like this. It's still yours. But it now benefits from the economies of scale that have come out from like the, the innovative engine of capitalism and all that. But well, well, the solution is more political, not technical, isn't it? Yes. 
it is it is it's it's a society thing like it's probably some somewhere of that like regulation that i thought might be behind some of the layoffs that they're worried that like unions and things are going to get more and more into the whole like hey wait a minute i'm great I, i'm happy you're benefiting from all this but how about you know sharing it with all of society so we can actually be happy and not devolve into real new Luddites and go smash up data centers. Mm. Well, here's a can of worms which we should not open right now because I think we're about ready to wrap up the uh, the podcast. Um, uh, I would posit that perhaps the answer to that is open source. The end. Yep, but open source needs something more. That, that, that's been clear, but that's a whole other podcast. Give a hold of that thought. Indeed it is. This was a fascinating podcast. I think it's interesting how almost all of these discussions I can relate back to. This is a social and people problem. People matter. So I like that. Um, that's it for DevOps Decrypted today. Uh, we wanted to point out that we do have a new feedback um, email address. It's devopsdecrypted at adaptivist.com. So leave us some feedback there and let us know how you like the podcast and what your thoughts are. For the team and myself, have a great day.